0: This is the Project Upland Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. I'm your host, Nick Larson. On this episode of the show, we go from Arizona to North Dakota with Tyler Webster and Jonathan O'Dell. Welcome to the show for episode number 83. Project Upland podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. It's still the fall. I'm still using Onyx every day. One of my favorite things that I've been doing with Onyx recently, using some of the tools inside the app, the line distance and also the area calculator. Sometimes when I'm zooming in and zooming out, I lose track of scale and how big of an area I'm looking at, but you can use the line distance measuring tool to measure how many yards a piece of cover is away from you, how far you want to go. You can also draw an area on the map and see how big of an area that is to try to determine is that enough cover to hunt for two hours, four hours, or more. Those are just a couple of the tools that are inside of Onyx Hunt. It's incredible the amount of things you can do with that app. I love it. I use it pretty much every day. Head over to onyxmaps.com, go to the App Store, Google Play Store, wherever you need to get it. Use the promo code PUP20. That'll save you 20% off your Onyx Hunt subscription. Go get it today. The Project Development Podcast is also brought to you by our our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, you haven't experienced Grouse Camp until you've experienced it at Pine Ridge. Find out more about the Pine Ridge experience by visiting pineridgegrousecamp.com and by Dogtra Callers. I use the Dogtra T and B dual system all season this year. I love it. It's an absolutely phenomenal caller system. It's got tracking via the beeper, training via the e-collar setup, 127 level rheostat dial. It's already dialed in for two dogs. It's built solid like all of the Dogtra callers. It's just a really, really good collar for your bird dog. I highly suggest you check out Dogtra and all of their products by visiting dogtra.com. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, out in the field, how you prepare determines how you'll perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance. So when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything—that is a Yukonuba dog. And by Gumleaf USA, high quality. Handcrafted premium rubber boots that stand the test of time. I love my Gumleaf Vikings. I wore them all season. They transition into late season perfectly. They've got that neoprene lining, gives you just enough insulation to keep your feet warm, especially when you're active. They seal out all the elements cold, wet, snow, whatever it is. Gumleaf boots have you covered. Head over to gumleafusa.com. Use the promo code PUP10 to save 10% from Gumleaf USA. And by Gordian Sons Outfitters, when your boots have the proper tread, you never notice how slip Period is when your hunting jacket features the right liner your body temperature won't enter your mind when your shooting vest allows total freedom of movement you won't think twice about swinging through that quail at and sons they want you to focus solely on the hunt not the performance of your gear that's why the gordy family has personally curated the best in class gear from around the globe for their store find out more about the gear the guides the expertise everything they have to offer by visiting gordyandsons.com and by dakota 283 kennels kennels built to last a lifetime one-piece rotomold design frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip, head over to Dakota283.com check out their kennels and put one in the back of your truck or two. Alright, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Garrett B. Garrett shared a recent episode of the podcast and for that we thank him. Garrett, Project up and t-shirt headed your way real soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can do that by leaving us a Rating, leave us a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast post, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Larson at NorthwoodsCollective.com. Send me an email. All right, this week's show, this was recorded back in September when I was out in North Dakota filming for an upcoming project that you may or may not have heard of. A project by the name of Public Grouse and it's coming your way in 2020. Had a great hunt out in North Dakota with some great friends including a host of another bird hunting podcast Tyler Webster. He joins us as well as Jonathan O'Dell of the Arizona Game and Fish Department. Jonathan was in town to hunt with Tyler. We all hung out. We had a good time. We hunted birds. We told tall tales and we talked about it on the Project Up On Podcast. We he also recorded another part of this interview that was on Tyler's podcast and he posted it pretty much right after we did the interview back in September so you can catch part one over on the Birds Booze and Buds podcast and right here right now you can catch part two of our interview as we welcome into the conversation and on to the Project Upland podcast Tyler Webster and Jonathan O'Dell. Where we left off, I
2: can't. I can't drink with this.
0: You got to See, you got to drink out the one side of your mouth.
2: Oh, wait, I'm turning the wrong. I need bottle. a bendy like stroke. a Ron White. I need a
0: <laughs> I need a cigar in the, the thing. I do. Yeah. All right, let's do it. All right, here we, we go. Project Upland Podcast. We are on location at Sharptail Ridge. Dang right, That's what man. we're calling it these days.
2: That's what we're calling it. I got a fire pit to prove it.
0: <laughs> yes, you do. We didn't. We didn't have any fires this week, but uh, yeah, we probably should have. Although we were not going to do that last night because there was a uh, quite a bit of rainfall,
2: <laughs> a hailstorm. You know.
0: That familiar voice that listeners hear is the voice of the one and only Tyler Webster, host of the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Also gracious host of my hunting for the past couple of days. Thanks for having us out, man.
2: Hey, man. I, uh, You know, it makes it a lot easier for me to record my podcast if I just keep on inviting interesting and fun people to come out and hunt with me.
0: There you go. <laughs> yep, yep. We just got done recording an episode of the Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast, so we wanted to take advantage of a few people being in the same location at the same time. We've got some interesting areas of expertise here and some fun conversation to talk about. Our other guest today is... A guy by the name, of, I like I like what Tyler called him, J-O-D. Yeah, J-O-D. <laughs> J-O-D. Why don't you introduce yourself, John? Uh, yeah, my name's
1: uh, Jonathan O'Dell. I'm the small game biologist uh, um, out of uh, Arizona, the Arizona Game and Fish Department. I guess my official title is migratory game bird coordinator now, but I'm mostly known as the small game guy down there. Um, I've been doing it for at least the last, um, officially, I guess, for the last uh, eight years, Um or more, and and earlier than that, I would always kind of in the background and and helping out with it, just because it was a fun passion of mine. I've been with the department about uh, thirteen years, so
2: world champion uh, dove cookoff,
1: yeah. Um, not this year, though. Not no. this year. No, but I previously started, back-to-back? Previously back-to-back. Yeah. The, the first two years, the World Championship Dove Cook-Off in Yuma. Yeah. Um, you should,
2: if, if you guys want to hear all the bad things you said about the guy who won this year, you got to tune into my podcast because he <laughs> yeah. just tore him apart. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, yeah. Was, it got ugly.
1: Well, I did take third in the the World Championship Squirrel Cook-Off um, a number of years ago, which is actually going on today again in Arkansas. Um, I'm I'm up here instead of down there. It was That was my choice. It was one or the other. Hey,
2: I think you chose, right, man? I, I, yeah, I think
1: so. Yeah. Well, you know. Tyler's invites come with with a heavy, heavy load expectation behind him.
0: So. <laughs> I heard you talking about we were out in the rooster tail saloon, uh yeah. we were talking you were talking squirrel hunting. I gotta be honest with you, and, and maybe that maybe this is for a good reason. When I think of Arizona, I don't think of squirrel hunting. Do you squirrel hunt in Arizona?
1: Oh, absolutely. So so the one thing that most people don't know about Arizona, I mean if if you just looked at it from a surface perspective, um, you know, Arizona is known for world class elk um, and world-class mule deer. That's really, you know, what what built our name. Um, for some other guys, it could be our desert bighorn sheep. Um, uh, for the, the older crowd, um, you know, Jack O'Connor came from Arizona and that's really how a lot of them learned about it. Um, they, they used to call him cactus Jack, um, when he first started, but you know, he's, he's the dean of outdoor riders and, and really highly idolized and stuff. And, and, uh, but so Arizona really kind of, you know, for the most part has its name, and reputation built on big game. Um, but what most people don't know is that we're probably what I always refer to as the small game state. It's all about diversity. It's biodiversity. And as you look across the North American continent, um, as you move West and Southwest, particularly the biological diversity increases. So, you know, in the, in the Eastern us, you know, Every state has white-tailed deer. Mm. Every state has bobwhites. There's 20, 25 states, whatever it is now, that, that exclusively have um, bobwhites. But uh, Arizona is actually this, the, the highest biological diversity in North America. It's actually centered in the southeast corner of Arizona. You don't see this high biological diversity until you reach Central America. Really? And, and this is for all species, whether it's plant, insect, animal, you know, reptile, you name it. So is that um, measure of biological diversity, is that on... Number of species. It, it, it absolutely is. Okay. Yeah. So, um, uh, the Arizona game of fish being a non, uh, marine state, um, you know, we're not having yeah, a you're coast Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're interior. We, we have, um, we manage over 800 different species, wow, um, and, and counting. Um, simply because, uh, not that not that we don't manage all of them. It's just it's fairly amazing what what you get in Arizona. And so, from a, a small game perspective, in the overall, you know, we're we're the only state with um, five native quail. We didn't have to import. We didn't have to. We have five native quail, um, none of them being bobwhite,
2: coincidentally. Right, um, almost six. Yeah.
1: Almost six. Yeah. We're, we're close to six. We were talking about that. Um, uh, we have uh, four different squirrel species, uh, tree squirrels. Um, overall in the state, we have twenty squirrel species, but but as far as the tree squirrels, what most people hunt, yeah, there's there's four of them, and so um, and one of them is only found in Arizona. Um we have a lot of endemic species that only occur in Arizona. It's the only place you'll find them or maybe we share it with Mexico um, and and so I mean we have four different skunk species. We have you know, I didn't know uh,
0: there was more than one kind of sp- skunk.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now I think we're at at thirteen or fourteen venomous uh, snakes, hmm. you know, including you know the rattlesnakes and and masaissauga and and coral snake and and all I mean it, the the diversity in Arizona is pretty awesome, you know um, it seems like, there's a never-ending list for me um, when I'm out hunting or, or just out, you know, doing biology work and all that stuff to to find or see something new um, that I haven't seen yet. It's it's always impressive to me to be like, oh, look at you know, I just it's like a new species I've added to my list. So, um, and most people, like I said, they they don't realize that, and so that that diversity lends itself well to just a, an awesome experience for, you know, the small game hunter. Um, you know, we have our own special whitetail, the, the, the cow's whitetail or coo's whitetail, depending on, on your persuasion for that. And, um, you know, we have mule deer, we have elk, we have, you know, uh, three different subspecies of turkeys, you know, the, the, yep. um, New Mexico and Arizona are the only states that have Gould's turkey um, in the United States. And, and that's not even part of the grand slam of turkeys. Um, you know, it's part of the Royal slam. Um, and then you have only one more step to the, 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 what is it? The world slam, yeah. I guess, for the Turkey Federation and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we do have, um, you know, we have chuckers, we have blue grouse. It, it usually surprises people. Tarmic. Um, uh, yeah, there's, there's some weird, um, interesting stuff that, that occurs there. And, and so, yeah, it's, you know, squirrel hunting is, is definitely a southeastern United States kind of um, uh, stronghold there. Yeah, yeah. It, there's quite a bit up in, in the New England area and, and the North Country as well, but it is strange to call myself a squirrel hunter in Arizona uh, just because the elk hunters kind of go, what? You know, yeah. <laughs> like that's something we don't pay attention to. So,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I definitely am a person that I haven't been hunting there like you have and like Tyler has, which we're going to talk about. We're going to dive into Arizona upland bird hunting, but. I kind of have that shallow surface view of Arizona. My uncle lives outside of Phoenix. Mm -hmm. I've been there, you know, we've we've been in the pool in the backyard and that kind of thing. And and I have not got out to see really, I've been to, uh, what's the place up north? Scottsdale? No, uh, Sedona. 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 I've been up there, beautiful red rocks, all that stuff. But I have not seen the kind of Arizona that, that the two of you have seen. And that's what we do want to talk about. But again, what's the public land percentage? We were talking about that last night.
1: So Arizona uh, overall, and and they're kind of generalities, but but in total, the, the state of Arizona is twenty four percent reservation. Um, we do house you know most of the of the Navajo reservation, which is one of the biggest in the country. But okay. we also have um, uh, a few of the Apache and the Hopi, um, Tolanothem, Northern Pimas, um, things like that. But it's twenty four percent of our state. It's so almost a quarter um, is is reservation lands. Um, about sixteen percent is private. Only sixteen percent of the state. Um, and that balance, that sixty percent balance, is public, um, and it is a mix of forest service, BLM, and state trust land, um, and, and and yeah. So it's it's very it's very strange. Particularly, you know, here we are in, in North Dakota, um, you know, heavily owned farm, you know, kind Nine of a lot of a lot of folks. Nine
2: point one percent. A lot yep. of people
1: own private mm-hmm. land here, and and it's really funny because um, people who come from other areas to Arizona for the first time are a little. Kind of stymied by it because, because it isn't like the norm. Mm. Um, you walk up to a fence and you just cross it and keep going. And, and people are like, Oh my, what, what do you mean? Well, like you can't do that. And I'm like, Of course you can. That's, that's what is. <laughs> well, yeah, if, if it, if it's to be posted, you know, not hunting, then they. We'll post it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you walk up to it and you don't see the no hunting sign, um, cause they have to post every quarter mile and the corners, you just keep going. There's yeah. only one fence in, in Arizona you don't cross and that's in New Mexico, but, uh, that's <laughs> a whole nother conversation. I may well. not have crossed that one on accident. Sure. <laughs> they're, they're, that's happened. And so, um, and, and then they kind of go, well, we we'll, you know, like when you say, you know, go out to this, this game management unit, you know, what does that mean? And I say, well, you see that mountain over there on your left and you see those mountains over there on your right. Those are the boundaries. Go have fun, and and they just kind of go. Oh my God! Yeah. But what's the opposite that I find, which is really funny, is is the hunters who grew up in Arizona. They're so used to free range hunting yep. um, that it's that it's so open, like it's almost an, an affront to their good nature that you tell them. Well, you might have to go knock on a door and ask for permission. Yeah. Um, they're like. I couldn't possibly do that. I'm like going, you would never make it in the Midwest. You, yeah, you know I mean? Yeah. You nope. wouldn't make it anywhere if, if you didn't, you know, have that skill. And so, um, it, it really kind of comes both ways that from out of state and from within state, it's, it's an interesting perspective, but yeah, there's, there's a lot, a lot of public ground. So,
0: yeah. What is that? You know, looking at Tyler, you know, you hunt North Dakota, North Dakota is very heavily privately owned now. The access laws, which I, I also want to talk about a little bit today, the access laws are pretty favorable to hunters at this time, at this time in that private, private, yeah, private land is open to public access as long as it's not posted. Is that is that how it works in Arizona? So
1: in Arizona, um, uh, private landowners are allowed to, to shut off access to anyone um, uh, completely, um, and that's it, um, you know, other than the sovereign nations of the, the thing. Um, sure. The commission actually, our, our legislature changed the law a couple years ago to where our commission is the only authority on closing an area to hunting or not outside of private ownership. Okay. Um, and so cities who've, who've annexed large portions of land, they, that doesn't mean a hill of beans, you know, (laughs) sometimes to our commission. Now we do have intergovernmental agreements and we don't, we don't push the boundaries, you know, a lot lot of times when it comes to that. I mean, I think our commission has been very, you know, open and willing to just work with us. You know, um, if you're having problems or if you, you know, there's some fears, I think that the public has maybe, you know, are, are unfounded about hunters and stuff, um, yep. You know they there's a popular hiking trail near the phoenix area and and the fact that you know we do have quail hunting and, and we do have archery deer hunting and not there's no rifle deer hunting there which is something we worked out early on but um you know we we want you to encounter hunters out there in the field and, and hunters to be very cognizant of of you know there's a trail out here there might be you know yeah um shared hikers use. out there and, and and kids and stuff and so just be mindful of that and and so you know i think for the most part it, it has been um has been a good experience, uh, overall, uh, on that. But yeah, our, our commission's really the final say and, and you know, we, we try to work with, you know, everyone as much as we can. And, and we do, um, one of the things that's, that's vastly different, um, you know, in the Midwest, um, you guys use farm bill, um, for CRP mm-hmm. lands, um, and, and all that and, and uh, hugely valuable. I mean, obviously it's a lot of farming. Um, Arizona, most of our private land is either city. I mean, we're the second most urbanized state in the country now. Um, where, you know, everyone's clustered into Phoenix or Tucson or, or that, and not too much out in the rural, but, um, we use CRP, um, funds a little bit different where the, the, the farm bill funds a little differently where we're trying to provide access. Some of our, the way our, some of our private lands are positioned is that there is public land on the other side cutting um, it off. and you have to get through. And so we have a landowner relations program that, that goes out and seeks out these partnerships where, um, you know, there's a sign in box or whatever, you know, a can we grate your road? Can we put in cattle? Can we put in cattle guards instead of having you have gates up or whatever it takes for us to be able to access. And and just a few years ago, I mean, there was a big push from our land relations guys Mm -hmm. and, and, and I, I'm always floored at, at how well they're able to do things. I mean, they opened up two and a half million acres. Wow! Um, through some access agreements, just by working with private um, landowners. Just yeah, just to be able to work with them and, and stuff. Because <laughs> otherwise, you know, it, it can it can be a lot more difficult. But in Southern Arizona is is where a lot of that tends to be at. There's a lot of Forest Service. Um, the Coronado is a very weird National Forest that's broken into several pieces. It's not contiguous, and and it's where a lot of myrn squail are. Um, and I've a lot of coos of time deer, time a yeah, lot of yeah. coos deer and a lot of, a lot of murns quail. And so, um, yeah, guys to be able to access that is, is super important, you know, for,
0: for places to go and things. So, yeah, that's been kind of a big deal. I know uh, on and TRCP, they just put out the paper, um, some kind of a report on landlocked acres where public land, but you can't, this is stuff that you actually can't access, which the land that you're talking about probably would have been included to that without those easements that you guys worked out. And that's obviously, you know, it's a, it's a a little thing that is a small victory that opens up a huge piece of property for people to hunt. I mean, that's, that's really important. And there is a lot of land out there that is, it's publicly owned and the public has access to it, but they can't get to it without having some kind of connection to private landowners. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk upland game birds in Arizona. Let's talk opportunity at a high level. We, We haven't talked Arizona upland hunting on this podcast really. I had, I had uh, Pat Flanagan on this podcast almost two years ago, but that's probably that's probably as close as we got to talking about it, if at all. So let's talk about the opportunity for people to hunt upland game birds in Arizona. You bet.
1: You know, before we start that, can I just celebrate a small victory? Let's do it. Um, as I talked about, Arizona is the only state with five native quail. Um, we're actually the only state as well that has the only endangered quail in North America, um, the mass bobwhite. Um, and so, you know, it hasn't been hunted in decades. Um, What's we,
0: the we, difference between that Bob White and the Mass Bob
1: White um, it, it looks very similar to what a, a Tennessee Red does um, they have a black face mask um, uh, they were discovered many many decades ago um, we almost had thought they were extirpated they're, they're in a small area of Arizona currently known as the Altar Valley um, um, we're actually, uh, where Arizona is very unique as well is that not all of our wildlife refuges are for waterfowl. Um, we have two refuges that are for bighorn sheep. We have two that are, you know, I mean, we've got some for, for, um, songbirds, migrating songbirds and stuff. And we have a wildlife refuge, a national wildlife refuge dedicated to this mass bob white. And, yep. and, you know, um, all of them ended up having to be, um, uh, brought into captivity, um, and they've had a captive breeding program, and, and as upland bird hunters, we know, you know, that success rate of, of captive to, to wild release has not been that great, you mm-hmm. know, for any bird. Um, but thankfully, there, had, you know, has always been wild birds out there, and I think that helps it along. For this, there wasn't. Um, and, and so we, you know, have been very close to the edge of, of losing one of North America's quail um, for a very long time. And... Um, uh, there's kind of a new life, uh, new management really has kind of taken over um, at Buenos Aires and, and um, uh, working with the mass bobwhite. And they have a second location now, Since so all of our eggs aren't in one basket, but there's a new location in Mexico where they've been working on it. But um, we've been working hard on a surrogator program bringing in um, uh, adult male uh, Texas bobwhites, neutering them essentially, you know, um, uh, making them sterile and, and hoping to, to rewild um, fresh birds of, of mass bobwhites. The, the folks who are, who are on that team and working really hard, I mean, they've been putting out food and water, making sure, like, these birds have the best opportunity chance. Because we haven't had a wild birth in, uh, I can't even tell too you how long. long. I mean, yeah, it's it's been far too, like I said, we, we, were, we were very much on the verge of, of losing that bird. And just recently, I mean, within the last couple of weeks, um, we got a trail cam uh, picture, uh, or the, the refuge did, of um, hatch chicks. Now, no the adult's way. not in the picture. And they're definitely younger than all the other birds that have been released to this point. So, fingers crossed. You know that, that this is a, this is a good sign that we may you know we may yet be able to bring this bird back. And so, like I said, I just wanted to, to take a minute as, yeah. as far as to celebrate awesome. that success and and stuff because it's uh, hats off to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and and their partnership with us and 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 working on that. So, um, and especially you know just taking care of the most endangered quail in north america yeah um you know to to bring them back and think that you know maybe one day you know maybe maybe not us but someone in the future may get a chance to see a flush over a point um you know with a shotgun in hand
0: and and that would be really awesome so that's a victory for sure yeah um
2: my dogs are freaking out out in
0: the other room i don't (laughs) think i don't i can't hear it in my ears so i think we're good excellent Um,
1: okay so yeah uh, aside from that um uh probably one of the the next kind of low number species but but not you know as as prevalently hunted in Arizona is the California quail. The, or the Valley quail. Yep. Um, as they're sometimes called, we, we obviously share a border with California and, and there's some crossover there, some birds and, and, uh, uh, they're definitely out there along the Colorado. We have one transplant population that we put on the little Colorado, which is quite a bit further East up in the North country. And, um, they're doing well. And, and, uh, so occasionally people run into them. There's, there's a, um, uh, coincidentally, it's, it's funny. Um, I don't know if you've ever talked with her dealt about quail hybrids um before not much no um yeah so i always find it funny so the the scaled quail and the bobwhite um butt up against each other there in oklahoma and texas and and all that and out there they call them blues i call them scaled quail that's the great of a thing about regionality um as you can always kind of tell where someone's from based on the words they use so yeah um but so a Bob White blue quail cross is called a blob, and I like it. So where scaled quail and, and uh, gambles quail come together, Arizona, New Mexico, um, there's a little bit you know small hybridization um, that we call scrambles, um, Scaled quail <laughs> and gambles, um, and then gambles butt up against California Valley quails, um, and we actually uh, hopefully the Western Quail Working Group soon will have a, a paper coming out. Um, uh, there's been a lot of research done on on the f1 f2 generations of, of these hybrids because it appears though all those other um uh, i talked about generally are sterile they don't mm-hmm. reproduce it's it's just kind of a you know it's a one it and happens done. and yeah one of the parents is in a as a, is a male one of them is a female they breed they have a group and then they just don't reproduce so but yeah the californian gambles are so closely related um, that it looks like they are, they have the ability to um, reproduce and all that stuff. So there's some in the in the Mojave Desert area um, of California, a little bit more than, than on my side of the river. But yeah, really kind of cool stuff. We did have an accidental crossbreeding happen. It was an unnatural one, even though it, it could occur. Um, one of uh, one of our, our breeders in the state who raises bob whites for, for dog training. We use bob whites for dog training, sure. Mostly because they can't survive in Arizona, even if they get away. So, but um, uh, a gamble, a, a male gambles got into the pen. Um, and and um, bred uh, one of the hens there because we weren't sure if it actually would have happened. Would have, yep. you know, the only place it could occur naturally is down in the Rio Grande in Texas because there are gambles down there. But they had a, a, a beautiful um, three of the birds hatched and lived. It was two males and a female and you know, first time I think ever we'd we'd seen that the, the crossbreeding would work. We thought it would because, you know, obviously scale quail are the intermediary yep. and both Bob Whites and Gambles could crossbreed that, but um so I decided to come up with the name Bobblehead. Um <laughs> uh you're full for, of these for this one <laughs> yeah. Um as far as that hybrid goes. And so um, um Do you get get
0: reports of hunters shooting hybrid quail, or does that all the time? Yeah, scrambles for the most part.
1: I mean, down in southeastern Arizona, where Tyler loves to go down and hunt. I mean, yeah, the scrambles are very cool. I have one mounted over my desk. um, How is that treated? It's just a quail that, so we classify birds in, into two categories. There's there's what we call the desert birds, okay. um, which are California uh, scale quail and, and gambles. Um, their seasons all run concurrent, their bag limits are all the same. It's it's an aggregate bag. Gotcha. Um, and then um, the only special one is the Merns quail, um, which I also get yelled at because everyone else calls them Montezuma. Um, uh-huh. Arizona's the only one that calls them Merns. Um, I, I catch a lot of grief from ornithologists and everything else. but. To be technically accurate, when you look back at the history, of this subspecies is Merzai, and so it's actually more correct to call them Merzai instead of, or to call them merns instead of uh, yeah. Montezuma. Uh, Montezuma. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, the, the classifications are, are desert and and, and Montezuma because they live in a very different habitat. Yep. Um, you know, it's th- that beautiful. It's 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 a place I don't think people expect when they think of Arizona. You know, I they think of didn't. the cactus yeah. and all that stuff, but when you get out into places like the San Rafael Valley, like the last desert grassland um, that we have intact and, and, you know, butted up around with all these oak trees and, you know, beautiful oak savannas and these draws and all that. Um, For fans of of old school movies and musicals and all that stuff, uh, Oklahoma was filmed in that valley. The house still exists. It's actually a state park now. Uh, it's no, our kidding. Senoida or not, Senoida, but it's, uh, the San Rafael natural area. You can actually see the, the house from Oklahoma, um, and be out there where they, where they filmed it all. So, wow. um, just a little bit, a little bit of Cliff Clavin trivia. trivia <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Cheers. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, we, it really is an abundance and, and I can tell you that, you know, it's funny because there isn't a dog who is good at all the birds in Arizona most of the time guys are specializing, um, because you you almost need completely different dogs for what it is you're doing and how you hunt them. So, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think we were talking about, you know, it's, you almost kind of need a disobedient dog for scale quail and gambles, um, because they're runners and they don't like to hold points and stuff like that. And so your dog needs, if your dog is too, you know, rigid and, and, you know, gets on point and will stay there yep. until you release it. Those birds won't be there when you get there. Yep. You need anyone that's kind of, he's willing to work with you and, and is a good team partner, yep. but also big running country. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty vast, of open desert country. Yep. And But then, you know, you get into Merns country and it's like, okay, you want a dog that's a lot slower, works a lot closer, is a little more methodical, mm. and you want them to, to be as tight as they possibly can when they lock on point, they don't creep. They don't do like, because those birds will hold forever. It is the most gentlemanly hunt. I think you can be really, hunting. um, oh, it's, incredible. it's, they, it's a gentleman's hunt for sure. I mean, it's exactly what you hope to imagine. Uh, unlike most other upland birds, which, you know, yeah, uh, a lot kind of times of they don't play crazy. fair. Yeah. 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 Um, the only thing I will say that that is unfair, it's, and, and you'll appreciate it because, because I know you're rough grouse hunting and all yeah. that. Mern's quail can be equated to rough grouse hunting in <laughs> one particular reason. when, when, the birds are pointed and they're locked down and you get up and finally flush them. Generally, you're, you're in the neighborhood of, of a bunch of emery oaks. Um, okay. these, these shorter oak trees down there because merns are, are, they're micro habitat specialists. Yep. And so what's underneath the, the temperature and humidity and, and the, the oxalis and nut sedge that gets caught in the roots there, that's what they're digging and eating. But when those birds come up, inevitably they will immediately jump up and get on the other side of a tree yep. like a rough grouse does. And yep. so I tell people all the time, if you just get used to shooting through trees yeah cuz cuz aren't strong i mean it's yeah. as being a, as a as a bigger quail that they are they're really a lot you weaker bring them down. And you can kill them with nines, um, you know, and one pellet, and they just ah, you know, it's like drama. It's like drama class. Rosebud, I'm dying, you know, and and they'll go down. Compared to gambles, which early in the season a lot of guys are starting with seven and a halfs, and about halfway through guys are switching to sixes because they're getting to be combat vets. Wow, and they will they will take a hit and keep going because they're just. They live in a harsh environment, that desert, you know. Well, they literally else.
2: dive into prickly pear cactus to oh, get yeah. away from you. I mean, they're, they're yeah. tough birds. You, you know? need
0: the dog to get in there and get them out.
2: Oh, it's rough, yeah. man. It really is. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's a good, good point I'd like to hear from Tyler because – You know, but most people that know Tyler know him as sort of the prairie bird specialist, you know, if they listen to the birds, booze, buzz podcast, but you have now spent the last couple of years going down to Arizona. Talk a little bit about that from, you know, based on your experiences here and venturing down there and hunting and hunting some new terrain and new birds.
2: Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, I coming from North Dakota, I uh I I I'm used to hunting pheasants and partridge and sharptails and I had I had this mental picture in my head of what Arizona would be like and mm-hmm. it was 100% different than I ever expected. Um I I started going down to Arizona when I was a kid because I had an aunt that lived down there and uh when we'd be driving out to the Glen Ranch or something like that to go visit some friends, we would see some gambles quail alongside the road. Never in a million years thought about hunting them and how difficult it would be. And when I got down there, I really went down there because of the mern's quail. is is the reason that I went down there. And their reputation as being the tightest holding game bird in North America is well deserved. I mean, I would they're 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 an incredible incredible bird to hunt, and the covey rises are just they're out of this world. But just a little anecdote on how tight they really hold. The first cubby that Rusty found that is the dog that's actually laying on my feet right now underneath the table. He's running, and uh, it's the one thing about coming from up here and going down there that people don't understand is is how unbelievably dry it really is. So the scenting conditions coming from up here where, like today, it's been raining all day. But, I mean, scenting conditions up here are pretty favorable for dogs most of the time, whereas down there, it's the exact opposite. It is, if you do get a day where... There's almost never any wind and it's so dry that the, these dogs, they just, I mean, they can literally be standing in the middle of a covey before they, before they smell them. Realize it. yeah And that's exactly what happened with the first covey that he found. Uh, he was running one of those, one of those live oak draws and all of a sudden he just like gravel flew. He went on point so hard. It was, it was (laughs) so much fun to watch. And I walk up there and I'm used to hunting huns and sharptails where you'll get a dog that points and sometimes those birds are 30 40 yards in front of you like you've experienced this week
0: well right and i've hunted over rusty a couple times now and i mean he's a he is a cautious Cautious dog on scent and so it doesn't take much scent to get him to stop so right i could i could see how that would be yeah you know so i and,
2: and i mean he's he's become a cautious dog because of hunting these prairie birds that they take no pressure. Yep. They just will not accept any pressure from dogs. And if you if they don't point on first scent, they're going to go and you're not going to get a turn at them. So he gravel flies and he comes just sliding to a halt yep. and I'm walking, I'm kicking around the dirt in front of him and I'm 10, 15, 20 yards in front of him and he's not moving. So mm-hmm. I walk back and I know this is a, 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 an audio uh, podcast and not a video, but he starts looking at the ground then looking up at me and looking at the ground and looking up at me. And all of a sudden I saw a head turn and the covey exploded. Oh. He was literally standing in the middle of a covey of about 12, 12 or 13 birds. And I was, I, I mean, I just started laughing uncontrollably. I never fired a shot. <laughs> I mean, I, like it was so much fun. And then the nice thing about him is there a lot like hunting early season hunts up here, where they don't generally go real far, yeah. and so I mean I and they unlike huns and um, and bob whites, they tend to split up pretty quick. I, I mean at least that that's my experience with them, and I mean I, it may be wrong, but uh, this covey, it you know, it, they'll go in a general direction but you can go and hunt singles. Now, with that being said, I touched on sending conditions here a little bit, and uh, it can be hard for a dog to find those singles sometimes.
0: Sure, yeah. But, it's hard enough for him to find the covey sure. and then now you got singles out there and that the, have been earwashed. That's a that's a, a perfect
1: analysis of it. I mean, I, I will tell you that the way you hunt what we call the desert birds, the gambles and scale, the runners, um, is you want to break up that covey into singles as quickly as possible. Sure. Because... The more they're together, the you know the more they're more just going to run. Yep. And so the best shooting actually is after the, the flush First and you break, break them up, and then go around and, and try and pick up singles. Merns Quell completely the opposite. The best shoot is on the rise. Because when they go to singles, I mean, you it will you will literally step on them almost, yeah. um, and they won't move, and and because the scent is built up from them moving and being together. Yep. The moment they go to a single, they are virtually scentless. Mm-hmm. There's no dander. There's no and and so unless the dog visually sees it, um, or you do, you know, you could love that and and that's you know to to clear up that point. Um, Merns quail naturally, you know, from a natural perspective, their only predator comes from the air. Mm. They're not you know, for the most part, it's not super coyote country. It's not, you know, so there's not a lot of dogs. There's not, they're not getting picked up by, you know, other animals, uh, other land-based predators, you know, bobcats, things like that. And so their first reaction, the predators are from the air, is the turtle. And, you know, you see a mern's quail and they're called, you know, fool's quail and and clown quail. I mean, they have, the the males are strikingly beautiful, but look at their back sometimes their first instinct is to turtle. They will hunker down and just sit down there and they vanish in the it's grass incredible. in front of you. It is amazing how colorful and beautiful they are. It, it's, it's like, you know, a tiger. Here's this orange sure. cat with black stripes. How the heck is it supposed to vanish? And it does. It does. Yeah. And right. you go, man, that's it's, this is the same thing. Their camouflage is so unbelievably beautiful. And so they, they turtle and their job is to hold as tight as they can because the, you, you can't see me. You can't see me. Their mentality and and that's where that whole holding comes from. I mean, you could literally send a dog out, you know, if you had a GPS unit and could, you know, signal you when it went on point, a dog could be, you know, hundreds of yards away from you, locked up on a cubby and if he's willing to sit there and not move, those birds and will just be there. be there, you can take a you time. can you can right. yeah. Leisurely stroll up and all that it, it's it's so amazing, you know, to, to have that. You know, experience.
2: I, uh, I I've never been one that is gonna run to a point. I've never had been because I've, I have the luxury of, of hunting birds that you don't really need to. Yeah. And when, when you're down there, we, we hunt a lot like, um, a lot like it's, it's a very gentlemanly hunt, just mm-hmm. like you were talking about, you know, we're walking around together talking and our dogs are out there hunting. And when a dog goes on point in Mern's quail country, there's, I mean, first of all, it, there can be some loose rock and stuff like that. So you don't really want to be hurrying across some sure. of that terrain anyways, but The big thing for me, and one of the reasons I really enjoy hunting them compared to the desert quail, and I do appreciate the desert quail, and they're fun to hunt, and they're a challenge in their own right, but it's a country that's a lot easier on Mm dogs. You don't have a lot of the prickly pear. You Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of the cactus. You don't have all the uh, mesquite bushes and the thorns, and so it's a lot nicer, and you just kind of leisurely stroll up there, and it's a whole, okay, I'm going to get on the right, you get on the left, I'm going to shoot the birds on the right, you shoot the birds on the left, and then we shoot the rise and then leave them be yep. because just like we were just talking about, it's very difficult to go and find those singles. Anyways, you can see, you can, there's these, these beautiful bush uh, plants down there. I, I believe they're manzanita bushes. They're like a red stock with, mm-hmm. it, with uh, it, they almost look like a fake plant in a house. Like they're so incredibly beautiful. And you can watch one of these little itty bitty birds go dive bombing into one of these manzanita bushes. And you can walk up to that exact bush and never find that bird. It's it's really so. I mean, right. and the reason that I like hunting them other than the country is the covey rise. Anyways, yeah. I, I love covey birds yeah. because it's the the covey rise is so explosive and so exciting. That's what I'm hunting. I'm not there to, you know. It, I, Jonathan said it best on on my podcast or Ron's podcast. Quail hunting or upland bird hunting in general is an incredibly calorie negative activity. Yep. You're never going to shoot enough birds to feed yourself. Yep. So. I'm out there looking for the experience of the covey rise, so why in the hell would I go and chase singles anyway? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know? And you find that the opportunities are such that you can go find, you know, because like sure. sometimes like the the amount of birds that you see might make a guy or girl a little bit more desperate, you know, to go chase those singles. But from your experience, well, you've been able I mean, to go find that next covey.
2: Uh, generally, and we were we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Uh, the first year we went down there, I. I didn't have the slightest clue what I was doing. I learned about Mern's quail from listening to Jonathan and watching uh, a couple of the videos that Randy Newberg did on Mern's quail hunting. So I just basically emulated looking for that kind of cover that Mm. that I was seeing he was hunting and went down there and started hunting. So I talked to my aunt who has lived down there for 30 years and she's like, oh, I know exactly where I should take you then because that's exactly what this country looks like. And we went there. And the first day, we're driving down a road, and a covey hops the road in front of us. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. <laughs> we got dogs out, went over there because we're all upland nerds. You know, if we're out there to, to kill birds, we would have just jumped out and shot these birds. But nope. We back up a quarter mile. Get the dogs Let out. a dog yeah. out and get collars on them. Walk up there all Elmer Fudd style. Watch a dog go on point. Covey rise. Shoot two birds. We didn't see another bird for three days. And, like, we had no clue at all right. what we were doing. Yeah. And By the third day, we found another covey. Fourth day, we found two more coveys. And that was basically our first year hunting. We struggled. But what that gave us was a data point to start at the following Mm -hmm. year. And so we went back there last year, and we hunted the same coveys that we hunted the first year, and then found more coveys on top of that. And branched out. And branched out from there. But it's nice knowing that, okay, if we are getting our asses kicked, uh, that we can go to this... Canyon and there's most likely going to be a Covey right here in the straw
0: we've had success there before right. so it back gives it.
2: you you yeah. know and we don't try to we're not there to beat them up you know but if, if we're literally it's a 1600 mile <laughs> drive down there yeah. you know and it's nice to be able to get the dogs out and have one of those spots where you're like well, I have confidence in this spot. So you're going to hunt a little bit differently and you're going to find those birds and those dogs are you're going to basically revive those dog spirits a little bit, because if you're on a, a long hunt and those dogs aren't finding anything, they're going to start pointing pocket gophers and, yeah. and any little Tweety bird that they get because they get frustrated just like we do. And then from there you can go and start branching out and finding other pieces of cover that look like what you're finding those birds in yep. and kind of go from there. Now, the first year we were down there, we had a decent amount of desert birds to kind of help supplement some of the lower numbers of merns quail that we were i mean the merns quail were there we just didn't have any idea what we were yeah doing. you didn't have the experience so we would go and we'd hunt gambles quail we didn't shoot any scale quail the first year even though that we found out last year that we were actually in one of the really good areas for scale quail and did find scale quail last year but um, we would, those desert birds, they live in mean country. I mean, it, it's really, really mean. I, I put a mesquite thorn through a boot sole. Oof. I didn't know that was possible, but it is. They are, Um, I had uh, the pickup that's sitting right outside right now. That was a new pickup that year. I had five flat tires in four days. Come on. No, seriously. Yeah, with the, with the factory. What you have to do? Tires. You had to keep
0: on going back and buying tires or no, what?
2: It, it was just rock punctures. So where my aunt's, uh, I'm going to give my aunt a shameless plug, uh, she has uh, the <laughs> Avenue Bed and Breakfast in Douglas, Arizona, which is a really nice place to base out of. Uh, Jonathan was down there last year, but right across the street from her is a tire repair shop. So I would come in at the end of the day, and I would go over there, and I'd have a, a t- uh, the spare would be in the back of the pickup, and it would have a hole in it, and another one would be leaking, so I'd be like, well, patch them up, <laughs> you know? And it, it was just, a, it was, it's a, a product of having those crappy factory four-ply tires, but they, wow. It is nasty country, and it translates pretty quickly into being really hard on your dogs. So I can imagine. Um, if it's stuff
0: on tires. It's stuff on dogs. Dogs.
2: Dog boots are a absolute requirement.
0: Really. Like, will you start with boots on? Absolutely. The
2: whole, you know? If I'm if I'm chasing desert birds, those dogs are not getting on the ground without boots on their feet.
0: Especially because your dogs are hunting up here; they don't, they're not, they don't have the conditioning. Right. And the I mean, of the it. Pads. You know,
2: it, we're in this part of the country. We're pretty blessed. Uh, I'm, I know you coming from Minnesota, mm-hmm. and the guys in Michigan and the grouse woods are the same way. Yeah. It's pretty easy on the dogs' pads. Yeah. Now, my dogs live out here on the farm, and we get to go for walks down gravel roads, so they do get some exposure to rocks, and they have a pretty decent pad built up. Yep. But there's nothing that can prepare them for hunting on uh, what they call Melpie rock, which is essentially lava rock. Mm. Uh, it's super abrasive. It's very sharp. It's everywhere. And what isn't covered in Melpie rock is covered in prickly pear cactus mm. and mesquite bushes. And our dogs up here... I encourage them to jump into a cattail slew. I encourage them to go through the bushes. I encourage them to get into the deepest, nastiest pieces of cover they can because that's where the birds are at. They figure out real fast that they do not jump into anything in, in Gamble's quail country. <laughs> uh, they go around everything. Yeah. And even a dog like you've hunted with Rusty and yep. you haven't got to hunt with CJ and my, and my short hair, Bo, but they're fast, athletic, very quick moving dogs. Rusty slows down to a crawl in, in, in in Gamble's quail country. Now in the Mern's quail country, he'll still run pretty hard, but, um, like Jonathan was talking about though, with the difference in, in, in the way the dogs hunt each individual bird. Now you mentioned that Rusty is a very cautious dog and he's very, he he will point scent even if those birds aren't there anymore. With that said, he figured out Gamble's quail fairly quick because I, they're, they're a lot like running rooster pheasants. Mm -hmm. They, those dogs, they, they put two and two together and realize that, okay, I pointed here four or five times and these birds aren't in front of me, they're running. Yep. And so he doesn't put a full court press on them by any, by any stretch, yep. but he'll pressure them a little bit and he'll get them to to hunker down a little bit. And when we're hunting those, uh, Arroyos is mm. basically what, what they I mean, that is what they are. They're dry riverbed. The, the quail are in a fairly the ones that we were hunting anyways were in a fairly contained area. There's basically, it's a, it's basically a wash and on yep. on the edges of the wash is pretty bare ground. There's not a lot of cover there. And so he would figure out pretty quick that if he could chase him down into those arroyos, he can get him pinned. And it was, we were pretty successful with that the first year. Last year, we struggled a little bit. The bird numbers were down as yeah. far as the desert quail went, but the merns quail were up. So that's, you know, that's why we were there in the first place.
0: Yeah, That's really interesting. What are the things that, you know, again, being, being a prairie bird hunter for most of the year, what is it that you love about, like what's, what's getting you down there? What is it that you love about going down there? And that may be time of year, you know, like the time of year that you go down there, you're kind of extending your hunting season.
2: That's exactly what I'm yeah. doing. Um, that, th- that's what started us me. And I say us and my little group of friends with, uh, my buddy, Mike Spira and Matt Schmidt and, and Nate Burbach, yep. um, we started expanding, because our season here in North Dakota closes the first Sunday in January. And there are years where our season could essentially close about the first of December sure. because we can get, we can get snowed out. Um, and it can be bitter cold. Um, uh, but there are years like last year where we were hunting pheasants up until the last day of season here in North Dakota and then road tripping to Arizona just to extend our season those last couple weeks. Yep. And it's basically like, like going on, uh, I mean, it essentially is going on a vacation to a warmer climate, Mm. but we hunt the whole way down. So we stopped. We went from hunting pheasants in North Dakota on the last day season last year to hunting bobwhite quail in Kansas and shot some pheasants there as well. To trying to find scale quail and bobwhites in southwestern Kansas and then driving to Arizona to hunt the rest of them. So we 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 took it. Basically, it was a two-week road trip, upland road trip. Yeah, and it was. I mean, it it was incredible, but. We, as living in this part of the country, you know this is the time of the year right now here in September and early october where we're we're kind of spoiled with the weather, yep, but our seasons can end. Really early. For sure. Some, some years where it's just impossible to get out. I, I have hunted pheasants on snowshoes. It's miserable. It's not fun. Um, and to be real honest, I'm not that mad at them anymore. Yeah. Um, like there are times where it's kind of fun to go out there and it's kind of an adventure, but you can injure a dog. Um, you can, they can pull a tendon or something like that. They can hurt themselves if they're out there in that real deep snow, especially if there's a little crust on it. So come December. You know, I, I enjoy hunting pheasants and, and I still try to hunt sharptails a little bit in December, even though everybody thinks I'm crazy and I do get a few and I do get a yeah. points and I love hunting huns, but that's like the ideal way for me to wrap up my season Yeah, is to get out of, get out of the North country and get down to the South where we can, uh, experience birds that are so foreign to most people that live in this part of the world and country. And Jonathan was talking about quail country there are very few things in this world that are more beautiful than walking into a live Oak draw in Southeastern Arizona after Mern's quail. Um, the cover is when the first time I drove up into it, it was literally shocking. You, you, you look at it and you basically, it feels a lot like hunting the mountains in Montana. Like okay. it, it's, it's very savanna grass and Oak and it, it's just incredible, incredible country. That's,
1: yeah, and for people who aren't used to it, I mean, we have, um, as well down there in, in the wetter bottoms, um, you'll see sycamores. Yeah. The size right. of, you have never seen, you're like, is that a cottonwood? Is that, a, you're like, yeah. like, what is that? Like, yeah. I can't believe how big that is. Oh, it's a sycamore. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's definitely a different part of, of Arizona. I mean, the, the what's unusual about it, the the heart of Mernsquell country is, is known as the, the, the Tri-City area. We have Senoida, Patagonia, and Elgin. And uh, so most people tend to, you know, base out of there. There's a couple of hotels, and all, all the guides are down at the the morning grind um, there in, in Patagonia, getting coffee and all that stuff. Because sure. it, it, Merns are a lazy bird, mm-hmm. um, uh, which which suits Tyler perfectly, 100 uh, correct. Because <laughs> because they don't start laying down scent right away, so there's no sense in chasing them first thing in the morning. Yeah. It's wake up, have some breakfast, enjoy a coffee, you Get know, out let's, let's let's be out be so, yeah, for right a while, and then move out there. Um, to go after them because so, you want, you want them to lay down scent for the dogs for the, for the day and, and, uh, which is really good. But, um, so that Sonoida is, is, uh, uh, Arizona's wine country. Okay. Um, so it is a, a certified AVA, which is an American viticultural area. It's, it's one of the hardest designations to get, um, for grape growers because that means you can do estate wines. Um, if everything is grown there, there and vented there and all that. That's that's how you get the estate label. It's one of the hardest things to do. Well, is there
2: anything you don't um, know? <laughs> Just saying <not laughs> about Arizona.
1: Um, He's so, an interesting so man. So it's, it's a, that AVA is actually um, one of only two AVAs in the world um, it, that's five thousand feet or, or higher that grows red grapes. They're the only other one is in Argentina, and so um, we grow a, a very unique, you know, red grape there. Um, and and, and the, to get the AVA designation, it has to do with weather and humidity and, uh, and you know all these things. It's certified. There's an American Council that, that certifies it. And, and uh, but yeah, there's only two AVAs in the world, and, and Sonoyda is one of them. And so it's kind of a, an encouragement. You know, if you need to bring a spouse or a wife or a girlfriend with you, um, there's something for that. They can take the winery tours and and see a lot of that stuff. It it sounds it's, pretty good. Um, it, and actually, there are quail in the wine in the vine, in the vineyards. Really? Um, I yeah, I talked to a lot of the the there down there and um usually around harvest season um when when you know they're they're basically peeling all the grapes and all that and there's piles of of, of peels and seeds and everything out back of the quail they'll it. move in <laughs> quail are coming in for shade underneath there they like the humidity they like the grapes and then you know everything's coming in all the doves everything's coming for the the seeds and stuff that are cast off during the wine process so um yeah it's 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 a beautiful, beautiful area. I mean, and it's completely unexpected for for what you'd think of Arizona it, normally.
2: You know, just to just to kind of finish up on a little bit on the desert quail, just just for a second. One of the other things that I really have come to treasure about going out and chasing those those desert birds is the c- uh, cottontail rabbits. Oh yes. I, I, yeah. Like when you get down, it's not just cottontails either. There are the uh, blacktail jackrabbits as well as uh, another species that, uh, if you hold up by the ba- by the ears, they're about as tall as I am. Uh, the antelope jackrabbits yes, they uh. exist. Um, but they, uh, the cottontail hunting is so unbelievably spectacular down there like if if there were no coil in arizona i would go back down there every january just to hunt rabbits wow i mean what is the limit even it's like 10, ten, per, ten per day, ten, ten per day. Yeah. you can absolutely shoot a three-man limit of cottontails every single day you're down there. that's insane it's nuts i mean like you, you start walking out there um if you go so i know that ever like it's a cardinal sin to quote unquote hot spot. Um yeah. But if you go to Douglas, Arizona, and you go east of Douglas on what is known as the GTR or the Geronimo Trail Road, and you get out there into any piece of the BLM land east of Douglas and you get out and you walk, the it's like the desert literally explodes with rabbits. It is so freaking nuts. <laughs> so the first time that we were down there, it, we were like I said, we were struggling with the quail and so in the evenings we would go out there for an hour we would just there'd be three of us and we would take off and we'd all walk a different direction we would walk back with our limit of cottontails every single night in an hour it's incredible so just to kind of like wrap up on the whole small game bonanza thing that you guys got going on down (laughs) there i'm not it's not just the quail that i go down there for for
1: sure and that's to to your point it's it's one of the interesting features of arizona like like I said that the the self-regulating nature of quail hunting particularly gambles so our cottontail harvest is actually directly linked to our gambles quail harvest oh yeah so as more people are hunting gambles because there are more out there they encounter more rabbits and they end up taking more and so it's always been linked um you know it's it's hard to say exactly what the the cyclical nature of cottontails is in Arizona because uh, you can't see it in the harvest data. It's just you look it's at coil and it does exactly quail. with yeah. that. And and so I've I've definitely seen good years where coil where numbers were down, where you get out in the desert and you go, man, there's a lot of rabbits this year, <laughs> yeah. like they had a good year. Or so um, but yeah, it's it's just kind of more encountering them as, as secondary to your bag because it is just you you have that diversity for mixed bag hunting like all the time i don't i can't think of a time where you know i i wouldn't have at least had the the opportunity or the chance at a mixed bag mm-hmm. um, yeah. it, there's so much down there yeah
0: well we're we're going to wrap up arizona a little bit i do want to talk prairie birds for sure. for a minute here but i want to I want to give you a chance. Are you the last couple of years you've kind of, you've almost done like a hosted hunt at your, at your aunt's B and B. Are you going to do that this year?
2: Yeah. So is what is, is what we do is basically for two weeks. Well, this year it's going to be for two weeks for last year. Last year was about, I think it was a a full week, but as what we did is my aunt's bed and breakfast, we rent out the entire thing. Um, my aunt is a, is a dog lady as well. Um, so the dogs are, we literally just shut down our bed and breakfast. There's, I think there's room for, I think 16 or 18 people I can't remember and we took we, we filled it up last year and everybody had their dogs in the hotel and my aunt uh, made us breakfast every morning like Jonathan said and, um, especially in Myrns Quail you don't need to be out there real early so yep. we'd we'd eat breakfast about 7.30 and we'd sit there and drink coffee and then we'd drive up into the mountains we'd start hunting about 9, 9.30 um, this year I've actually <laughs> expanded it a little bit just because I like being down there so um, is what we're doing is um, it's, uh, it's $600 for a week that includes your food and a place to stay. We're not, uh, everybody just kind of gets up and goes and does their own thing. Um, last year, Jonathan was nice enough to come down and kind of, kind of set us on, on, on the, the path to righteousness a little bit, just to sort of speak. <laughs> um, he kind of, kind of gave us a little, uh, he's like, okay, this is what you're looking for. You know, yeah. we went out and we, uh. Uh, we went out and kind of did our own thing, and it's 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 just really fun, you know. It's uh, hosted like it hosted kind of puts a little bit of pressure on me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, it's basically an excuse to go down and have a really good time, <laughs> literally right on the Mexican border. Uh, get out of the North Country and go down and kind of expand your horizons at a cost that makes it. Very doable for yeah. everybody. I mean, 600 bucks yeah. for a week. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah I mean, Lodging and your food. food yeah. I mean, yeah. And you get done at the end of the day, food's ready for you every night at seven o'clock. Um, if you want her to do your laundry, she'll do it. You know, she's going to charge you a little extra money, but she'll do it for you. Um, and everybody just kind of comes and goes as they please. If you want to go hunt desert birds, you go hunt desert birds. If you want to go hunt rabbits, you go hunt rabbits. If you want to go chase myrn's quail, that's where I'm going to be. Um, I'm going to be up in the mountains because, uh, I like that a lot, you know? So I think this year, I think that I I just told everybody we're not, I'm not doing like a set, uh, week anymore. If you want to come for seven days, I'm going to be there. I'm actually going to be there before that, but I'm telling everybody I'm going to be there from the 4th, uh, January until the 18th okay, for two full weeks. And, uh, you know, I think we still do have a few spots available. So if anybody is interested, send me a message on Facebook and, uh, okay. I just have everybody send a hundred dollar deposit to my aunt, just to hold your spot. And, that's, yep. and then she takes care of the rest of it.
0: You got my attention with the mern squirrel hunting. That kind of sounds like where do it's it, at. Yeah. Do it. Uh, one last question before we leave Arizona, dumb question last time i was visiting my uncle which was like five years ago in chandler you know everybody's got the bricked off backyards and he's got his pool backyard there's quail yep. running up, running back and forth along the oh, top yeah. of the what, what were they gambles gambles so gambles? Okay. so
1: what's really cool about gambles that i don't think um, a lot of their species have the ability to do gambles have adapted to us um in a sure. very big way so if you're in phoenix or you're in tucson you're going to see birds in town. Yep. Um, and a matter of fact, where you see them the most is on the golf courses because the golf course, it, remember, I mean, the, the desert is a very harsh environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things, this is really gambles are the only true desert bird. Um, you know, scale quail or desert grassland birds, the the valley quail are a little more, you know, it's central Valley. It's a little softer, a little nicer and all that stuff. But gambles are evolved in, in the Sonoran desert. That's, they're tied inextricably to it. Yep. And so they've, they've had a harsh evolution. Well, Along comes people, and and what do we bring? We bring Water. swimming pools and, yeah. and and watered grass and manicured lawns and like all this other stuff. And so the food resources within the cities actually is, is huge, yeah. and it, and it's year round access, unlike you know a desert environment where it's only maybe available certain ports of the year. So yeah. they have adapted to the city life just fine, yeah, absolutely fine. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, the top knot birds you see in Arizona are generally the, the, gambles quail and they're out there and you'll hear them in the mornings. Yeah. Um, they have that classic, you know, Chicago, Chicago calls are assembled calling and, yeah. and, um, really, really a vocal. I mean, they're, they're definitely one of the most vocal quail there are, um, the males in particular. And, and so, yeah, you'll, you'll see them in town and that's where people are kind of like, Oh, they kind of get this idea. Actually. Um, it's our logo. I mean, we're, we're, I've always taken pride in the fact the Arizona game of fish logo is a, is a gambles quail. Yeah. Um, you know, being a, a state that you know really builds its name on big game you sure. know, and you see it across a lot of all the other states as well like yep. having a small game species on your logo for your, your wildlife agency means a lot it means a whole lot mm. to me that it's just the quail you know on our so and and you know showing off that top knot and yeah this yeah. is this is a really important bird to us so yeah. you know
2: and if you're going down there you got to try to get the slam
1: yeah, you, you got to try to
2: get the gambles the the and, and yeah. the scales. If you
1: can do three, that's great. And then if you really want to push yourself and do three in one day, that's even that's even more crazy. We did so, it last so. year. Yeah, it, it definitely can be done. But it, And there are a few areas where you can do that all just within a few hundred yards Mm sure um not many but but it's it it is possible so
2: i know a spot and i'm not telling
0: (laughs) (laughs) you got it marked in onyx
2: oh absolutely if somebody (laughs) finds like you're talking about if somebody finds my phone i got i got spots marked all over the country
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh hearing you talk about Going down to Arizona your first year where you kind of, you almost stumble into success. It kind of, it's parallels my experience out here. This is my second year hunting out here on the prairie in North Dakota. And I was out here, I, I was fortunate enough to spend a couple of days with you last year and we hunted a little bit, but we also, you know, I want, I wanted to learn, like I want to learn. Sharp tail grouse. I want to learn huns. I want to learn about it. So, you have a ton of experience on the ground. You have a high confidence. You just did a podcast talking about sharp tail habitat. I mean, you know exactly what you're looking for. So, it's important if somebody wants to learn more about a specific grouse or species. I mean, you want to listen to somebody like for you sure. on sharp grouse. I'm, I'm, I want to know what Tyler looks for. Sure. And now, We came out here last year, we found some birds and that, you know, that was, we were talking about that on, on Tyler's podcast about expectations. I came out here last year, I had zero expectations. I'd never hunted sharptail grouse before. Last year was not a great year. Was that correct?
2: Uh, I mean, I always have pretty good success and first of all, I'm going to tell you that the Wisconsin guys you come out here with, them guys are freaking killers. Uh, Uh, they are animals (laughs) and, and, uh, they are, they have endless amounts of energy. They never quit. And they tend to figure out things pretty quick because they, they have a, a background in dealing with rough grouse where you can, you, you can see patterns pretty quickly and you yep. can see that with sharp tails as well. Yep. Now you guys came out here your last year and you guys still did pretty well. You didn't get to hunt as long yep. as, as you did this year because you had to go over to Montana yep. uh, for some project upland stuff, but those guys figured it out. Like the first day they were here, it was like 16 mile day. The next day was like 12. The day after that was like seven. Yep. And then by the end of the hunt, they're getting their nine grouse in like three miles. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they dialed it in they pretty did. quick. And yeah. it's, you know, it doesn't matter if you're hunting pheasants or rough grouse or merns quail or sharptails. It's all about seeing patterns. Mm-hmm. And the, as soon as you can kind of open, like you, you got to go into it with, with nothing. And then all of a sudden you'll, you'll flush a bird and you'll be like, well, where are they, where'd that bird come out of? And you'll start looking and then pretty quick you'll see other spots that look just like that. And then you'll start flushing more birds. Yep. And pretty quick this pattern is is like abundantly clear where you can eliminate like ninety percent of the landscape out there and just concentrate on the ten percent and really do well.
0: Yep. Yeah, and that is that's what that's the sort of the process that I'm going through with Sharp Tailed mm-hmm. Grouse and you described it very well. Like mm-hmm. I last year I had no idea what I was looking for, and now I have a pretty good idea yeah. of, in that sight picture of, you know, basically ankle high grass ankle high to below your knee grass that is thick like a carpet it's like thick with and plush you're looking for rose hips you're looking for buffalo berries
2: rose hips to me are the indicator ground coverage that if you see rose hips uh, and I, I I just did it was only a half hour long podcast yep. just focusing on sharp tail and what what to look for um, if you are seeing rose hips on the landscape when you're hunting, you are in the right cover, yep. because it can't be it, it, the cover can't be too tall. That has to be you know it's basically like overgrown pasture land is what most people are looking for. Um, and I
0: don't think the rose, I don't think you see the rose hips in the stuff that's too thin either. No, so don't. it's like that fine line of yeah.
2: exactly and, the right grass. And you said it right. Um, it's so if you're in cover that's knee deep consistently you're in the wrong cover um it should be uh between i'm gonna i'm gonna throw numbers out there that don't really mean anything because nobody's walking the prairie with a ruler but it's going to be between six and 15 inches high um and it's so (laughs) when people think of of hunting in something what we would call the short grass prairie um or short grass or or sharp tail cover whatever you want to call it it's short but it is incredibly thick mm-hmm. um, now you can, that's not being, that's not saying that you're not going to flush birds out of buffalo berry bushes or something like that in a, in a grazed pasture because you will but what I'm looking for is it should be tripping you when you're walking it yep. should be that thick uh, it should you should have to put some effort into it to lift your feet Picking out of it because up. it's yeah. so thick that you can't just kick through it yeah but yeah it's uh and when, what it's just like hunting rough grouse once you see what it's supposed to look like you'll know what it is forever
0: yeah yeah and i can give a good example of somebody that's kind of new and that you know i'm sort of finding my way i went out the other day and the other the other guys that i'm with mike and ted and forrest and mark they they had a couple spots picked out so will and i went off to another spot and we were driving along the road and i looked at a spot and it it looked i thought i was looking at the six to 15 inch grass, the ankle height kind of stuff. And I was like, that looks really good. And it was nice rolling topography because another thing you talked about is the elevation sharp tails, like to have a view. And that maybe more than anything I have seen proven time and time again, in the short time that I've been hunting them. But so I see this grass and we start walking and right away. I could tell the grass was too tall and I should have, I should have stopped and I should have turned around and went back to the truck, but but I did. I kept going. I kept going the only thing, our, the hunt we had was not very productive, and that's why I say I should have turned around and gone back. We did see birds, and where we saw the birds was again the topography; those knobs that are higher, they dry out, the grass, grass yep. thins, and that's where we got up and we found that prime cover right on the tops of those knobs. But it wasn't, it wasn't as prevalent as I've seen in other areas. So sure. again, we were we were hunting what I would call marginal cover. There were birds there. But we didn't find the density that we were well, looking for.
2: Well, this year is a, uh, the, our North Dakota game and fish came out with the numbers here just a couple weeks ago. And I sent them both to both of you guys because it was pretty exciting. Yep. Um, our sharptail grouse from last year up 113%, um, which is incredible. I mean, that's and a so, big, I yeah. Mean, last year was, was, I would say last year was a pretty average year. I mean, I had, I had success, but like we were talking about earlier with the quail, and and with rough grouse in the previous podcast that we recorded on mine last year was one of those years that you needed to really bear down on prime prime cover. Oh. This year It doesn't, it doesn't matter as much. Um, You you are going to find some birds in some of those pieces that are marginal. Now, uh, a really good example of, so there's a, there's a a piece just north of me here that is, you got that spot down there by Patagonia Sonoida where if you wanted to show somebody what Mern's quail country looks like, you take them there and you're going to, every year there are going to be birds there. So I have this spot just north of me here that is absolutely ideal. I hunt it every year, one time. And last year we hunted it, and there was three of us, and we walked. It's about four square miles, and we walked pretty much all of it with three pretty big running dogs. And I think we killed three or four birds and probably seen ten. I took Brent Pike and them them boys from Michigan up there last Monday when it was 80 degrees. It was hot. We hunted for an hour. We probably flushed seventy sharp tails, and we killed eight. Wow! Um, and we only covered one of the uh, one of the sections. <laughs> so, I mean, it's you know, this is one of those years where I I told uh, Ron Bame from the Hunting Dog Podcast earlier this spring that this could be the year that we talk about for a long time. Um, our Hungarian partridge numbers are up 58% over last year. And last year was the best year that I'd had since I was 10 years old. Um, our sharptail grouse, like I said, up 113, our pheasants are up 50. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you have numbers like that in a state that is a destination state for those three species, that tends to speak pretty highly of what the year is going to be. And every year isn't isn't great every year isn't bad i mean we're we're lucky enough to you know like john says about uh the quail species down there i've never seen a year in north dakota where all three species were really really bad and even even if even if they are it's not going to prevent me from going out in the field and chasing them but the years like this where the the bird numbers are up it really does make you feel a lot more grateful for those years than it does uh, yeah for sure than some
0: yep john this is your first time hunting north dakota
1: it is. Um, yeah. Um, Tyler's been down a couple times already and, and uh, everything. And so I was helping him out with, with the crew and, and where to go and what needs and, and all their stuff. And he extended an invitation to me. And I said, you know what? Yeah, you know it's it's <laughs> it's time. I I, uh, I I just wrapped up my dove season. Early you really twisted season. your arm to get you up here, you? Yeah, well, it. you know, I, I told him I couldn't come up right away just because it was you know I, I couldn't make the opener. Yeah, um, which I was I was kind of bummed about, but I had to get through my early early dove season. It's it's kind of my Super Bowl yeah. um, mm-hmm. in my position with migratory birds in Arizona, and um, I spend a lot of time in Yuma and, and everything going on. So we wrapped that up on the fifteenth, and so I was looking at the calendar and I was like, yeah, okay, I can make it at least you know at least for the the second weekend and and all that um of course
0: you know we well, let's turn it rain. out to be a good decision really because
1: we, we wake up yeah. to rain on set well and and so, again like you know we talked about expectations being relative yeah. you yep. know between hunters um uh heat tolerance is is relative amongst <laughs> hunters as well uh, yeah um yeah th- the the hotting stuff you were experiencing i'd have been like all right cool let's just have yeah. a bottle of water and go you know no, we um, did <laughs> yeah the, the, the dog's the only ones that are, you know it's worried about about holding up so right. um but yeah i'm i'm super excited i mean um yeah, I I grew up next door in Montana and and uh, didn't do I did more like mountain and tree grouse, okay, um, blue grouse and and spruce and things like that and and so the prairie stuff is always kind of you know it's 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 been the draw to kind of as I think now you know particularly I you know I I probably missed a lot of the the great years of of sage grouse um, that were available as a kid and I used to see them out there you know when we were out there and, and stuff and now it's it's definitely becoming more difficult and they have such a specialized thing and you know I, I i for the first time ever got up to minnesota you know for the north woods in the mm-hmm. fall i'd been there in the spring and this or the summer you know different periods deep in the winter time you know and, and never had that ex- that that chance to experience it and and so last year i got that that first opportunity and and just had a ball yeah. um you know i i i think now i'm you know I'm a little bit more comfortable in in my position with the department and all that stuff and it's like okay yeah i can you know weasel in some time to, to go, well, and you especially know, in September, you guys,
2: other than your dove season, that's a good time for you to get away.
1: Well, yeah. And right after dove, I mean, I, I, I get this break until, you know, um, middle of October. Yep. When, uh, when our quail season start firing up again and, and things get busy again and stuff. So it's it, it really for any, any game manager, uh, the the fall is just fall and winters are, are crazy, um, you know. Obviously, I think right now all of our wildlife managers and, and the big game side. I mean, it's hunts are just firing up every Friday sure. somewhere, and yeah. uh, archery elk season's on right now, and I mean, it's just been been bonkers. I, I, I it's nice because I mean I get to kick it off with dove season on September first because that's just a date that lives in infamy and yep. in everyone's you know mind, and um, it, so that's always kind of fun. Like I said, it, it really is my Super Bowl. I you know. i I never have more fun than uh, i think that you know it's it's cool to see
2: oh it's mardi gras with guns yeah pretty much (laughs) um uh,
1: but as i call it i mean that's the you know people can't believe that just the the gun firing you i mean it just it's like it it is mardi gras with guns and and i always call it randy laughs at me um newberry laughs at me when i when i I said that's the sound of conservation right there
2: that is Um, absolutely every every
1: squeeze of that trigger man it's just Mm -hmm. fun in the fun in pr and you know, come back to states and it's, it's awesome, you know, yeah. um, that, that I get to experience that. Cause so many places like, I mean, South Dakota, if, you know, if we were talking about South Dakota, you talk about the pheasant opener. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, There's all these guys in orange and shotguns and all that other stuff. And, and, and it, it's really statewide and stuff and, and other places have different things. And like I said, for Arizona, for me, it's, it's, yeah, I get to see it in Yuma with, with the dove opener I and mean, yep. people are excited. It's Ninety percent of all of our doves are harvested in that first fifteen-day season, anyway. Yeah, um, and it's it, you know just tens of thousands. I mean, I, th- I have I think a total of about fifty-five thousand dove hunters right now, and I mean they shoot well over a million birds, and particularly this year because it was a white wing year. Um, that's always spectacular when when the white wings are they haven't migrated out yet, and um, you get those shooting opportunities. It's just really special. So yeah, I was I was excited. Tyler invited me to come up because I was like, yeah, man, I mean, I, this is, he, he and I share that love and affinity for mixed bag stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, anything we can do to, you know, if you can get two different birds in a day or a bird and a fish and you know, whatever it is, you know, bird and a rabbit, you know, like yeah. that's to me, that's really cool. Cause that's, I like that, that opportunistic, you know, like this opportunity presented itself. Let's take it. Sure. Um, you know, not, not being so, I mean, it's, I, I know there's a lot of like Fear intrepid like guys don't want you know rabbit shot in front of their dogs right. you know, when you're out on a bird hunt and, and all that other stuff and and I get it. I mean you're you're investing in a dog and wanting to, to you know, do your be, thing, right? Be yeah. what it is. But man, it is so my finger. It's just so bad when a jackrabbit <laughs> blows out in front of a bird dog. I'm like, oh, oh
2: <laughs> I just can't stop. You know, as, um, long, as long as my dogs aren't in the way, you go ahead and shoot exactly, that rabbit for sure. uh, You know, yeah. I, uh, I I'm the same way, and I have pretty high hopes for this week. I hope that knock on wood uh i'm hoping that we can put a hungarian partridge in the bag a sharp tail a morning dove a sandhill crane you can't shoot ducks yet but i can that's right so i want to shoot a couple different species of ducks and by god i hope we catch a walleye just to just to top her that would be a rounded out
0: week right there yeah that would be it well uh as we wrap this thing up john i want to give you a chance you mentioned some resources to me because we talked a lot about arizona quail and and uh upland hunting Give me those resources. Where, where do people go if they want more info on hunting? So, in um,
1: yeah, so we have uh, uh, our website, obviously, uh, uh, azgfd.gov. Um, it's a great website. Um, yeah, go in, um, get into the, the, the hunting pages and, and the small game stuff. Um, uh, our forecast um, for this year is already out, and we cover virtually every species. In there with a, with kind of a short snippet, of what what's going on with the population, and all that other stuff. Um, if you want, you can get into the individual game management units. If you if you get our regs, you can see it's divided by game management unit. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say that not all of them have been updated. Um, I've been working with with folks to kind of give it just to give you, if you're heading to this unit, you know, in, in this area, where you're going to want to kind of look for things and how you know things are are kind of situated within that game management unit. Uh, A lot of our wife managers have been really good about, you know, I, I, I really don't want them to put annual stuff in there. I try to say, you know, make it a little more timeless simply because it's a lot of work, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, maintain up-to-date information all the time. And then you, you end up with, you know, you, you open up one game management unit, hasn't been updated in six years. And then they're calling me screaming, what the heck is going on here? So, you know, just I said, just give them a lay of the land. Like where, where do you find birds? What, you know, what are you kind of looking for? What's, you know, some of the areas, what better quadrants of the unit or something like that so um that's always a good resource um another one is um uh, az Quail today um which is run by dan priest wonderful um, guy a, yeah a saint um of a man um for sure um but he has az Quail today um uh and it's usually updated uh, some of the pro staff for for q5 outdoors which dan also owns which has uh, great bird vests and, yep. and everything else i run one uh, Jared Nelson, uh, one of the other pro staffers, I think he takes care of the website, but a lot of reports come in early. They get published. Anything I put out there on quail gets published. You know, it's, it's a super, super resource. Other resources. Um, uh, I'm going to tell you what, if you're, and I, I threw this out on the, on the wing podcast for, um, uh, quail forever and I'll do it here too. Ahead of season, if you're planning to come down from earns quail, I want you to email me. I want you to call because I want you to be successful. And as such, I said, if you if you can send me an email or give me a call or you know get in touch with me, send me your address. I will send you a bag of Merns Quail Wings to get your dog used to that scent uh, ahead of time. I'll ship them to you in the mail. You know you can. I'll probably about you know half dozen to ten wings. Get your dogs used to it before coming down. Sure. That way they're at least familiar with that scent and how because it's it's going to be pretty light on them but but it'll get it it'll get you a whole Something. lot more yeah. it'll get you a lot better results in the field i think yeah. now i can't fix how slow they would work or you know anything else <laughs> yeah. but but at least for the most part you know they'll know what they're looking for yeah don't, don't, down, don't
2: so. wait to do that until december 1st yeah yeah, yeah. 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 get a hold of you early get, yeah get a hold of me <laughs> early
1: if you can if you know you know if you're thinking and planning and all that other stuff most guys i'm, I'm actually very surprised I, i've said on podcasts a lot of, you know that that Right now, there's there's myself and and Larissa Harding, who's my supervisor, um, and that is the entire small game program for Arizona. I mean, we have field staff and and those who you know definitely help us out, our wife managers and game specialists. But but w- when you're calling the program, that's who you get a hold of. And people are always surprised when I pick up the phone um, when they've called and and they go, "Oh my God, it really is you!" And I'm like, "Who did you think was going to answer yeah. the phone? I told you it was just me." Um, so, but yeah, if you can get a hold of me by all means do so I, yep. I i want you to be successful you know we, we collect a lot of wings annually um through our wing barrels um in a lot of these canyons you'll see them in the very popular canyons and please do clip wings put them in there um it definitely gives us better information and then like i said i, I use these it's not like i sell them to fly tires and and fund mm-hmm. my retirement to come hunt with tyler when i retire all the time um you mm-hmm. know i'm 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 willing to send them to you i yeah. want to put them to good use so that way when folks come down they can really enjoy it so
0: cool Tyler, Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast. Everybody can go sure. there and listen to more, and thanks for having me out, man. Hey,
2: man. Thanks for being had. Appreciate yeah. it.
0: All right. right, let's. I think the rain stopped, so uh, why don't we go outside and uh, see what's going on, boys? I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Project Upland podcast presented by OnX Hunt. The podcast is also brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, Dogs or Collars, Eukanuba Premium Performance Dog Food, Gumleaf usa gordian sons outfitters and dakota 283 kennels don't forget to leave us a rating leave us a review subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast post you could be next week's winner of the project Dublin podcast giveaway thanks for listening everybody we'll catch you on the next episode